So hey guys, good morning. It's good to see you today. Looks like uh, we all survived the, uh, the great snow blizzard of 2018. And uh, it's good to see you. If you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the New Testament book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Today we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. And also if you would uh, reach inside of your worship bulletin, find your message notes, take those out. Uh, you'll see that today's scripture passage is printed on the front and on the back. There's a place for you to take some notes. One of my favorite places to take people in the Holy Land is uh, a place that's a, a really beautiful place with an ugly past. Uh, today it's called Caesarea Philippi, and I think we have a, a picture of it. It's called Caesarea Philippi, but for a time it was called Neronius in honor of Nero, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. And uh, when Jesus and his disciples were here, and it's kind of hard to imagine, but there were, oh goodness, there were grottos. And if you look in the, in the very back of the wall where the, the mountain is, you can see these little alcoves. Well, th- this was... Um, uh, where the god Panius, or the mythical god Pan, which was half goat and half man, was worshipped. And uh, there, was, uh, there, there were shrines there. And, and, and honestly, by this time, uh, lots and lots of gods were being worshipped. And uh, if you can kind of imagine all of these worshippers that were making these pilgrimages here and worshipping um, little statues in the, in the alcoves, and uh, there was all sorts of ugly kind of worship. Like uh, at one time, there's, a, there's a, a, like a hole in that wall to the left. I don't know if you can see it from where you are or not. Uh, that was thought to be the gateway of hell, and uh, child sacrifices were offered and made there, and again, just some really terrible things. But with that as the backdrop, Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do you say that I am? And the disciples at first said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Because at that time, Herod had already had John the Baptist's head cut off. And other people say that you are Elijah. And both of those were great compliments. They were saying, Jesus, the, the people are saying some really cool things about you. But Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And it was a critical question. A critical question then, it's a critical question now. In fact, the most important question that you can ask and explore is this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's a critical question because so much depends on the right answer. So much depends on the right answer, not only in this life, but in eternity. Who is Jesus? And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about that. If someone just cold asked you like someone asked me yesterday, who is Jesus? What would be your answer? Well, today's message is called, Who is Jesus? And there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. And my goal is to clear up the confusion with the truth about the Bible and what the Bible says about Jesus. And my goal is at the end of this message, you would be able to answer 
with the right answers, who is Jesus? The church in Colossae had been infiltrated with false teachers called Gnostics. Can you say that with me? It's kind of an awkward word. There it is. Gnostics. Say it again. Gnostics. And these were, these were people who um, said that they had a special kind of knowledge, that they knew some things about God and about Jesus that no one else believed or, or that no one else knew. And one of their beliefs was that Jesus is not divine, that, that Jesus was a created being. They didn't believe in the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And again, they taught that Jesus was a created being. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. But even today, there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. And unfortunately, there are false, unbiblical ideas about who Jesus is. Let me give you some examples from today's religions and cults. Islam teaches that Jesus is only a prophet of Allah, but he's been superseded by Muhammad. So Allah is God, but Muhammad is his prophet. Buddhism doesn't recognize that Jesus is a deity at all. In fact, Zen Buddhism teaches that there is no living God. In Hinduism and the New Age movement, Jesus is only one of many gods. In Judaism, Jesus is not divine, not the Son of God, and not the Messiah. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created as the archangel Michael, and he's a God now, but a lesser God, not Jehovah God, not the one true God. Mormons believe that Jesus was born in heaven as a spirit child of Elohim, which means um, heavenly father, and one of his many wives. They also believe that Jesus had a brother named Lucifer who later became Satan. And again, they believe that Jesus is only one of many gods. How many of you have heard of Scientology? Maybe if Tom Cruise was here, he could explain this to us. I, I don't... L. Ron Hubbard taught that Jesus was a false memory implanted in the humans as a result of the xenospace opera, Christianity evolved from an evil R6 implant. I don't understand that either. But the point is, you can see there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. And maybe you're confused Maybe you're here today or you're listening to this message out on our website and you're confused about who Jesus is. Well, you're in the right place. Because again, today we're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to clear up the confusion by looking at the truth from the Bible and what the Bible says about Jesus. Specifically, we're going to look at what Paul says, the Apostle Paul has to say about Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Let's dive in. I want to read all of these verses in a chunk, and then I'll come back and explain them. One of the things I want to remind you of from last week is that the alignment here, the, uh, the way the, the Scripture text is either um, indented or even centered in some uh, Scripture translations, just means that this was a song. This is an early hymn of the church, an ancient, ancient song. The Apostle Paul says about Jesus, 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him. And if you'll listen, you can hear Paul answering the critics. See, Paul knows, he's not in Colossae, he's he's writing this letter from Rome, but he knows what's going on in Colossae. He knows what the false teachers are presenting, so you can hear him answer their arguments or, or answer their false teachings with truth. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Notice how Paul is, is covering his basis. He, he's saying everything was created by God. You know what everything means? It means everything. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, if you were here last week, just think back to what this would mean. What Paul is saying here is just treasonous. This is the kind of stuff that gets you thrown in prison, which he is in prison in Rome for saying these things, for preaching this message. And he realizes that the the people in Colossae, that when they're handling this, this this would be considered propaganda to the Roman government. This is contraband. They could all be arrested and killed for even having this in their church. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That means that everything that you want to know about God, you can see it in Jesus. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then he says in verse 21 and 23, or through 23, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And I can just see Paul, he's probably probably standing up as he's writing this or saying this. He's excited. Paul is a preacher, and I would imagine he's preaching these words. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, he says, you know what the truth is. Here it is. Now you have to stand on it. You have to believe in this. Don't be shaken away from this. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul have become a servant of it. So who is Jesus? Paul says in these verses that there are five major truths that you need to know about Jesus to be able to answer the question, who he is? Who is Jesus? Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is God. I want you to say that with me. Jesus is is God. Say it again, but like you really mean it. Jesus is God. 
Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. Now, an image can do two things. First, an image can be a representation. The the word Paul used for image is icon, which is the, the, the kind of image that you would find of Caesar on a coin. Do you remember the coins from last week's lesson? Well, if you're a Roman citizen, just as a reminder, if you're a Roman citizen living in Colossae, which was a long way from Rome, you're never going to see the emperor. Not not in your lifetime, no matter who the emperor is. If you outlive him, you're you're never going to see the one uh, that's alive right now or the one that's reigning later. You're just never going to meet him. So, How do people know who the emperor is? They put his icon on the coin. And so whenever you're trading those coins, you're giving the coins out or you're receiving coins, you have Caesar's image right there in your hand. You get to look at that and uh, be reminded that this is the guy who rules you and leads you. He's the image of the invisible emperor. Paul says, In the same way, Jesus is the image or the representation of the invisible God. The second thing that an image can do is it can be called a manifestation. Say that word with me. It's just a fun word to say. Manifestation. Do you know what it means? A manifestation is something that explains um, a theory or a concept or an abstract idea, something you can't really get your hands around. A manifestation explains it. Now, we know that God is spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says that the spirit of God brooded or hovered over the darkness before creation was created. So the question is, how do you relate to or how do you communicate? How do you understand a God that's spirit, a God that's invisible that you can't see? You can't. And that's why Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the manifestation or the explanation of God, which helps us to understand who God is. He's the portrait. And even more specifically, He's the photograph of the invisible God. Think about it this way. In Jesus, we get to meet the invisible God face to face. So if you want to know what God is like, you only have to look at Jesus, the image or the explanation of the God you can't see. Here's the second thing that Paul says about Jesus. He says that Jesus is the firstborn. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this can be a little bit confusing because at first glance, it it sort of sounds like Jesus was the first person who was ever born or ever created, but that's not true at all. Keep in mind that the false teachers were saying that Jesus was not God because he is a created being. But firstborn here does not mean a birth order. You know, like God had ten sons, and Jesus was the firstborn of those ten sons. Which is what some religions believe. Firstborn here has to do with 
Jesus' rank or his position. Here's what Paul is saying. Very simple. Jesus is superior over all of creation. He's preeminent. He's umero uno. Number one, he's the boss. He's the authority. He is the manager over all of creation. Everything that exists on heaven or in heaven or on earth. So Jesus is what? He's God and he's the firstborn. The third thing that Paul has to say about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the creator Jesus is the creator. He's not just a created being, but he is the creator God. Listen again to verses 16 and 17. For everything was created by him. By who? Jesus. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things are held together. The false teachers were teaching that angels were the agents of creation. And I want you to think about it now, like, um, like in our own culture. You can't go on Facebook without seeing something on there about an angel. There's an infatuation with angels, which is nothing new. Because 2,000 years ago, there was an infatuation with angels. Now, they didn't imagine angels like we imagine them today. Most of us, when we think about angels, we think of a really nice, pretty blonde lady with long blonde hair and, and flowing wings, which is nothing like what an angel is really like. First of all, they're all male None of them are ever spoken of as, as female. And every time one appears, it's a scary moment. The first thing out of an angel's mouth is always something like, fear not or don't be afraid, which means they just jumped out of their skin. So the false teachers in Colossae were teaching that the angels were the agents of creation and that Jesus was a superior angel. So he was a supernatural being, but not God. And Paul says, that's just not true. Jesus is not an angel. In fact, he created everything, including the angels. Okay, I want you to think about what we know about Roman emperors. I'm not going to go over last week's message, but if you were here, I want you to just think about that for a minute. They claimed to be gods. Caesar Augustus, Octavian Caesar Augustus, Octavian the man, the Caesar, which is emperor, Augustus, which means he is God. So their divine claim included ownership of Rome and everything and everyone in Rome. So the Roman people were not only to follow Caesar as their emperor, as their head of state, but they were also to worship him as their God. Ever been to Washington, D.C.? 
Okay, so you, you've noticed... You've noticed the architecture of the buildings there. Um, one I'm thinking about in particular is uh, Lincoln's Memorial. What does that building look like to you? Well, first of all, it looks like it was torn down in Rome, shipped to Washington, D.C., and rebuilt there. The reason it looks like that is because in Rome, they built their important buildings to be temples because their leaders were worshipped as gods. That's why they have the pillars. That's um, also a lot of the church architecture that we've used in our our own country for the last 200 years. The, The columns and the shotgun style of most churches where ours is a wide building this way, theirs would be long buildings this way. It's because the the Roman leaders, they were orators and they they liked a narrow room and they could boom their voice out so that everybody could hear it at the other end. It, It was like a temple. The people were to worship the emperor as a god. So when Paul says all things were created by him, through him, and for him, Paul is saying the emperor is not your God. He's saying there is a God, and it's Jesus. Not Nero. Not Julius Caesar. Not Augustus. There is a God, and his name is Jesus. And you are to only Worship him. There's one more thing I want to cover before we move on. Paul says in verse 17 that Jesus holds all things together. So not only is Jesus the beginning and the end of creation, not only is he the creator, but during the time as we know it on earth, Jesus is the one who holds the world together. See, Some people think that after God created the heavens and the earth, that he just sat back and watched his creation evolve or devolve. This idea is called uh, deism. It was developed in the 18th and the 19th centuries. Deists like Thomas Jefferson and Voltaire, who was a French philosopher, they were looking for ways to combine the Christian faith with the, the new technology or the new science of the day. So they likened creation to a watchmaker who engineered a beautiful watch, wound it up, let it go, and then just sat back and watched. The point is that they believed that Jesus was not active in the world that he created. But that's just not the view of the Bible. The Bible says right here in these verses that every living thing is absolutely dependent on God for life. The Bible says that the Lord provides the sunshine, the rain, the oxygen, whatever is needed for everything and everyone in creation to exist. And he holds it all together. And that's not just a theory. That's the reality He holds it all together. The fourth thing that Paul says about Jesus is that Jesus is the head of the church. He says in verse 18, 
He's also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. So, so just as Jesus was, was active at creation, because he's the creator, just as Jesus is involved in the world around us today, he's holding it all together. Jesus is active in the church, which is his body. All right, once you've got that written down, I want you to look at me. Again, I can't look you in the eyes, but you can look me in the eyes. I want to make sure that you get this. The head of this church, Rocky River Church, is not Jimmy Britt. I don't own anything here. The only thing I own in this building, most of my books... I'd probably fight you over the ones I'd, I don't own. There's a couple of guitars and some personal items in there that are mine. I don't own anything here. My name's not on the title. I, I, I don't own any of the, the real estate, n- none of that. I'm just the pastor here. But for the congregation of people who, who meet here... You're not mine. You don't belong to me. I didn't die for you. I didn't give my son to die for you. I planted Rocky River Church in 1999 like Epaphras planted the church in Colossae, like Paul planted the church in Ephesus, but I don't own it. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He directs it. He is the one that all of us follow together. I want to make sure you understand that. We follow Jesus together. The Lord has given us different gifts and abilities. Some of us have the gift of leadership. Some of us have the gift of mercy or teaching. Others have the gift of hospitality, etc. And all of us using our gifts and abilities together, we serve this local church. We become his hands and feet serving each other and serving our community, but Jesus is the head of the body. Who is the head of the body? Jesus. Any of you grow up on a farm or been around a farm? Ever seen what happens when you chop a chicken's head off? Yeah, it's something. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my, my grandpa, my, my mom's dad, he was a, a farmer and a preacher, a Baptist preacher. And uh, I never saw him kill chickens. I saw some baby pigs being born one time. I realized I was, I was not cut out for the livestock business. But when Karen and I started dating... We would go to see her, her grandmother occasionally with her, with her parents. And uh, she lived down in uh, eastern North Carolina, down in Bladen County, down in Bladenboro. And she had some chickens out, out back, uh, roosters, some hens, that sort of thing. And uh, she had gone out one, one morning to feed them. And she came back inside, and she had a little bit of blood on her arm. And she was mad. Now, if you've ever seen my father-in-law... Uh, Wilton Pate, well, he's older now, so he doesn't look as tall and and as imposing, but he's about 6'2", 
maybe 240, something like that. I, I don't know. Let's just say 190 in case he <laughs> listens to this message later on the podcast. Let's just say 190. He's a big old guy. Well, well his mom was like a carbon copy of him, or he was a carbon copy of her, I guess, since he, she was his mother. And she came in, and she was as mad as she can be, bleeding on her arm. She said, that's the last time that rooster spurs me. She opens a drawer, pulls out a hatchet, walks out in the back. That thing came at her. She ducked and grabbed him going by, by his feet. Puts him down on a stump. And that rooster just ran around like it was just crazy for about 30 seconds. And then that was it. It was over. That's what happens when the head is cut away from the body of Christ. When Jesus isn't there anymore, the church can be really busy. It can be running 100 miles an hour, but eventually it will die. Jesus is the head of the body. Together we all follow him. And then here's the fifth thing that Paul says about Jesus. He says that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He says in verses 19 and 20, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, Shed on the cross. Because Jesus is God, he can do what no other human being, no other created creature can do. He is able, listen, to reconcile us to God. You know what the word reconcile means? It means to reunite or to mend, to repair. The Christian gospel, the good news, is about reconciliation, making all things Right with God. And the whole reason for Jesus coming to earth was to bring reconciliation. He came to bridge the gap between holy God and sinful human beings. And it was something that only he could do. And it was his initiative. Have any of you thought about God this morning? I I hope you have. I mean, we've been talking about him for the last 25 minutes. The only reason you've had those thoughts about God is because he was thinking about you. If God wasn't pursuing you, he would never cross your mind. But reconciliation salvation, us being able to have a right relationship with God is his idea. So when a lady asked me yesterday, who is Jesus? And I turned the question back to her. She said, a good man, a teacher, a miracle worker, and a martyr. You know, there's, there's nothing 
Paul says here about Jesus being a miracle worker. There's not anything mentioned here about what a great teacher he was. Everything points toward him being the Savior. He was so much more than a good man. Do we we think Jesus was a good guy? Sure we do. But he's more than that. Was he a great teacher? Of course he was. Was he a great leader? Yes. Did he work miracles? For sure he did. Was he a martyr? Maybe you could put it that way. But beyond all of those things, he is Savior and Lord. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God and listen, to be at peace. To have peace with him. Jesus is God. He's the firstborn creator, leader, and Savior. And that's the truth. The question is, what will you do with the truth? Because there are only two responses that are the right ones. The first one is that you accept him as Savior. And the second is that you follow him as Lord. In a few weeks, we'll get there. But Paul is setting up the church at Colossae and the church at Rocky River by establishing the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and you have a decision to make. Are you going to follow him as Lord or not? Is he going to be the Lord of your life? Is he going to be the boss? Is he going to be the authority, the manager of your life, or are you? Let's bow our head, heads and close our eyes. And for just a moment, I want to ask you to consider accepting Jesus as Savior and following Him as Lord. Have you accepted Him as Savior? And do you follow Him as Lord? Is He the boss? See the authority, see the manager of your life. And what's he saying to you about those things? Is he saying something like, Jimmy, um, I know you say you believe in me. I know that you say you've accepted me as Savior, but you don't live like it. You don't follow me as Lord. It's not an either or thing. It's it's both and. Living like Jesus is Lord 
is proof that you've accepted him as Savior. Where are you? Because if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you can do that right now. And I invite you to. I invite you to say the simple prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart and in your mind. Our God's the God who searches hearts and minds. And so he will hear you when you pray. Just say something like this. Jesus, today I realize who you are. I was confused. But now I know that you're so much more than a good man or a philosopher, a teacher, a miracle worker. But you're God. You're to have first place. You outrank me. Even in my own life, you, you outrank every other creature. I know that you're creator and savior. And today in the best way, I know how I ask you to save me from my sins. Forgive me of my sins, the ones I've committed in the past and the ones I'll commit in the future. Put me in a right place, a reconciled, mended place with God the Father. And then fill me with your Holy Spirit to have the courage and the strength to uh, to live every day from this day forward. Not only knowing you as my Savior, but following you as my Lord. And now just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. It's in your great name that we pray. Those who agreed said, amen. So listen, if you said that prayer this morning, would you let me know? The way to do that is to take that connection card that Pastor Donnie talked about earlier. Just make sure we have a name on there and a way to contact you. And then somewhere on the front or the back, write a B. That means that today you're believing in Jesus and you're following him as Lord. And then on your way out today, we'll have ushers at the exits. As you go past them, just drop that card in the offering basket. And I'll get it this week, and I'll follow up with you. We want to help you with some next steps as you follow Jesus. And by the way, we have some books out at the the info table. Uh, One of them is called Next Steps. So if you're trusting Jesus today as Lord and Savior, grab one of those books on your way out. And if you're a first-time guest, be sure to pick up a free copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. All right, let's stand together. Donnie's got a couple of things he's going to say to us. Uh, I need some predictions here on the football games. I hadn't caught in my bets yet. I'm just kidding about the bets thing, as far as you know. Um, Philadelphia or Minnesota? Minnesota. 
Philadelphia. You know those Philadelphia fans, by golly, don't you? There can be one of them, but it sounds like there's 50 of them. And uh, Nate, I know who you're going for in the Patriots-Jacksonville uh, game, but who's going to get that one, Patriots or Jacksonville? Jacksonville? See, you guys just want Jacksonville to win, but they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. Uh, they don't have a chance. But it should be a fun day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Donna, you dismiss us. God bless you guys.